how very patient God is, gives us resources, and then waits. On a deep heart level, we can't really change ourselves, but we can offer ourselves to God. We can't really change others. No, we can't change others, even in pastoral ministry. But we can offer people to God. These are messages of grace and freedom. We finish this month's theme of the discipline of submission by having a roundtable discussion with my dad, Richard Foster, and we're able to bring back Lacey Borgo and Steve Fulver. Now, so often when I do the podcast, I'll chat with people ahead of time and after. Sometimes it's kind of silly. Today, I pushed the record button, and we thought it might be fun to share a little of it with you. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Um, when my um, eldest daughter was about six, she carved her spelling words, right? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> Into they're the log cabin. Yes, and they're misspelled. They're misspelled. <laughs> Does it drive you crazy every time you read it? Uh, no, no. It? I'm just mostly like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's just That's life, great. isn't it? Misspelled yes. words on your wall. And you live where, Lacey? I live See, in Colorado. Okay. In a log cabin. Yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> the thing is, Lacey, mm. I wouldn't know that the words are misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> that is, what is it, outrageously ordinary? Devis, Lacey, Nate prompted me to, to tell Richard what, what I had, what my first impression of Richard was the very first time I met him and spent some time with him. And I, it was devastatingly ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's a great tombstone. Epitaph. Yeah. I think it'd make a good book title there, you know, Ooh. Devastatingly yeah. Ordinary. Yeah, he's writing it down now. I do so well. Devastating. <laughs> <laughs> you look over on the beam, Lacey, and see how to spell there it. Yeah, let me see. There you go. <laughs> okay, so the, the, the beam thing, Lacey, mm. prompted me to remember mm. a story about my dad's brother, about writing oh. things oh. to keep handy. <laughs> yes, can you tell him the story? Because this is sure. wonderful. Sure. This, sure. this gives you a snapshot of the world in which he grew up in. Okay. <laughs> this is my older brother. He's dead now, but he he was just a character, single guy. And uh, <laughs> I went to see him, and I I uh, I don't know. I was in a motel or something. I called, and I said, uh, "When I get in, I don't remember, but write down this phone number <laughs> so that you could get in touch with me." Okay, fine, sure, sure. And then when I get to the apartment where he was, I saw that phone number written in the dust on the coffee table. <laughs> it's like a scratch pad, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. It worked, it worked good. Yeah. We did it. Well, let's see what happens at the end. But, I mean, we, we all made it on a call. Dad, you figured out how to work the software? 
Yeah, I figured how to click the thing you sent me. I'm, try, I'm trying to make it easy for you. <laughs> um, and, and actually, I just want to start here. Are there things you guys want to talk about or ask each other about the discipline of submission? Hmm. <laughs> you don't have to. I just thought I'd start there. Well, I, I have a question. Good. Can I ask it? Yeah. Um, Richard, what, what's been the most um, difficult part of uh, living out submission in your own life? Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, when I started the uh, chapter on that, I started with um, the uh, the freedom that submission brings, mm. the freedom to let go of our own way, mm. that everlasting need to get my own way. Mm. And <clears throat> I, I still feel that is the great... Um, great task because it goes way beyond, Mm. you know, this specific discipline that I learn with Carolyn. I learn with work associates. I learn that I don't have to have my own way. Mm. And uh, in that I learn that so many things are no big deal. Now, learning that is uh, in, involves death to self and involves that whole transforming so that, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> Jesus' prayer, not my will but thine. Mm-hmm. And God is working with us in such a way that God can say, your will be done mm-hmm. so that it, our will has come to the place where it is in sync with God's will. And submission is such a wonderful discipline to make that happen. So part of what I noticed, Richard, as you were talking, is you used some very personal examples uh, of submitting to Carolyn, of submitting to people at work. And my question, kind of my noticing and wondering about submission is, is if it is, like a lot of the disciplines, very personal and unique that God calls us each, not just to simply submit like Richard says to submit or like another author says to submit, but it's very unique and very personal in the way that God invites us in. See, the the touchstone for submission, the biblical touchstone, is uh, what is it? Ephesians five twenty one. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hmm. So the idea of mutual—I think I put it this way in the book—mutual subordination. But there's a reason out of reverence for Christ, because we honor Christ, we have a mutual, you submit to me, I submit to you, we learn to work and live together that way. So it has to be personal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're just talking about pie in the sky. 
Do any of you know historically, is there a group that's done particular well with this discipline? The Friends of Jesus in Germany, um, the Brethren of the Common Life, they would be a group uh, the, out of which came uh, uh, The Imitation of Christ, that book. Mm-hmm. And we know about that group uh, from that book. And uh, I would think they're a, they're a really lovely example of uh, and and the Franciscans, uh, mm. you know, that would that would bring to people stories of these friars minor, the little friars. <laughs> I think they're a wonderful example. If you, and when you read something like the Little Flowers of Saint Francis, you and you see them, the kind of interaction that they had, and and uh, what they did for each other and so on. You see submission to one another played out over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah. Does that make sense? What about the rest of you, maybe? Well, I wonder about uh, the Mennonite communities uh, mm-hmm. over, over history, the, this idea of submitting to the broader community, not just to an individual, but also this, kind uh-huh. of attitude or posture of submission that Mennonites, I sense, um, in their communities. Right, right. That whole communal sense yes. that, uh, because, if, for example, if you uh, come across uh, one of the old Mennonite hymn books, it's, it's always corporate. All the music is we language and mm-hmm. unlike uh, what we have today, which is I language in an awful lot of. You're right. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so they're constantly focused on the community life together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is something very different to, in terms of submitting to a community as opposed to submitting to a specific leader, right? For the good mm-hmm. of the community, I'm, I'm, open, I'm receptive to uh, the voice of the community. Lacey, in um, your, your uh, context, your community, li- you live in a small town, and uh, I don't know, how, how has this way of living kind of worked itself out for you? Well, I would say that, um, that we do struggle with submission, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we're um, not entirely stereotypical, but we are sort of of that. Um, uh, we submit to no one, um, mm-hmm. sort of way of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I would so um, I would say that we, like like many communities, we struggle with um, leaning more towards individualism mm-hmm. um, than submission. Yeah, um, I would say the. The place that I see it um, most beautifully lived out is in the homeless shelter, um, the transitional facility for homeless folks um, that I'm at on Wednesdays. And um, (coughs) just seeing the mutual submission that that, Mm. um, must be present in order for people in crisis to live together. Mm. Mm. Of course, 
the the individualism that you find in your community is uh, a common issue for especially Western American folk. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, a bit of um, kind of where we are, mm-hmm. um, maybe even as a nation um, mm-hmm. right now. Um, mm-hmm. We're maybe coming up against a, um, this understanding that it doesn't work. <laughs> Maybe we're starting mm-hmm. to understand that it's not working. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things um, that comes to mind when you were um, talking about um, sinking that in submission, we sink our will with God's will, um, that that's one mm-hmm. avenue for that. Um, I thought of Dallas Willard's um, definition of love to will the good of another. Right. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about where love and submission. Um, how they are woven together. Yeah. The phrase Dallas often used was, it is a well, love is a well-reasoned concern for mm-hmm. the well-being of all. Mm-hmm. Oh, say, it, say it again. Say that again, yeah. It's a, it's a well-reasoned concern. That is, it isn't just a feeling. It's a well-reasoned concern for the good of the community, for the good of everybody. And now, you know, I knew Dallas pretty well, and I knew how, you know, it isn't all that easy in a home situation, you know, whatever. But the definition is is great. And that brings up <clears throat> the deepest problem about the submission as a spiritual discipline is that um, when it comes becomes destructive, that's the limit of submission, and, and and that is a violation of the law of love, the royal law of love. Um, and we can all think of examples of submission that can be very destructive. Right now, we're going through some recognition of how, you know, just in in uh, families, marriage relationships, abusive uh, persons, the persons that are abused, that is often a violation. I mean, sometimes people submit when they shouldn't, and and mm-hmm. it's and it breaks the law of love. Yeah, that comes back around to the that idea of it being mutual, and mm. when it isn't mutual, when I don't know that I can trust the other, that makes it really challenging. It feels really vulnerable. Then puts me in a place of vulnerability, or individuals in a place of vulnerability mm-hmm. when the other isn't mutually submitting uh, mm-hmm. to another, or but, even devastating to, or, or devastating. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I think percentage-wise, the most murders happen in uh, mm-hmm. in family relationships like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lacey, you brought up a piece that I actually like to hear a little more on the shelter. In the shelter, you said that that's kind of part of kind of survival. If I go that far, is spaces where you have to be submitting mutually submissive to each other. 
so I'd like to hear more on that. But also, do you think there's some connection between affluence that when I'm, you know, kind of fully self-sustained, sustaining in terms of my resources that I, I, I don't need to be necessarily in spaces where I'm submitting. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at least you have some thoughts. Um, I, I'd really love to hear Richard's thoughts on that. Um, you're right, Nate, because what you're getting at is in a, in a shelter setting, uh, survival depends upon getting along, uh, uh, um, you know, and when we have resources so that we don't need to depend on anybody, then um, it's easy for submission to break down, but it doesn't have to be that way. See, uh, it isn't, we can, we can make choices, even persons who have considerable independence, that is, affluence gives them independence, can make choices to care about our neighbor mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's a phrase that an old professor of mine gave that I always appreciated. He would talk about our circle of nearness. That is that our relationship with other people, that's our circle of nearness. And one of the tasks for the Christian, that is the follower of Jesus, is to increase the circle of nearness so that it includes others um, that we have a neighbor who's uh, the son uh, has gotten is out of a job and so um, Carolyn and this is this is where affluence uh, even in a small way can be helpful Carolyn hires him to do things and She's almost making up stuff for him to do. It helps and all of that, but, you know, but isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. Even in this transition period when he's uh, searching for work. Mm-hmm. And this is a very responsible adult and so forth. But uh, And, and that, that increases the circle of nearness of people that you relate to, care about. I wonder if monetary affluence is um, just an illusion. So we all really are still needing each other. Um, uh, It's just really loud at the shelter. Um, So there's just less illusion there. Um, There are so many ways that we... Um, those of us who can meet our financial needs um, are not thriving. And right. I wonder if submission really is the doorway hmm. to that. I find framing this practice in terms of breaking free of that obsessive need to have our own way 
I find framing that so helpful in that that kind of seduction, that addiction to, you know, always striving, fighting to get our own way with things, that is exhausting and, and miserable. To me, there's such great freedom in being able to let go of that. And, and when I'm with others who are doing that, it becomes somewhat contagious, right? And, and it becomes easy to kind of join into that. And, and you know in a group, when there's somebody who always has to have their own way, how destructive that is. Yeah, I'm thinking of just a little small group that gets together once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if there's one person that always has to have it their way, how that that will eventually destroy the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Richard, as you were talking about neighbors, um, we live in kind of intentional community with four other families. So five, actually, now seven other families, but there are four families who own a mower together. And that's an intentional <laughs> choice that we've made to, to share resources. But then as Lacey, you were talking, it, it also, and, and Nate, um, this idea of it forcing me to recognize that I can't always have my way. Um, there are times I come home and I want to mow my grass and somebody else is using the mower. And I will get all riled up inside about mm-hmm. what I need to do the grass now. This is my turn and you're using the mower and you didn't leave gas in the mower and you didn't clean it off when you were done. And, and it forces me to reframe some of what is the reality. Like you're saying, Lacey, it, it reframes things for me of being willing to offer. I'm not the most valuable person here. And these people are valuable too. And their needs are valuable too. And mm-hmm. I don't have to exert my way. So just giving in with the mower has been has been really significant for me mm. over these years. I think that's the most jarring thing about being a new parent is the submission to the child that is demanded for that little thing to live so early on. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. like, I, you know, I'm watching this TV show and now you're up again for another drink of water. <laughs> Lord, help us. I'm going to need to submit yes. um, my own Good desires, bad. my own wants and needs. Wow. And as gently as I can help you get back in the bed Look, make sure there's no monsters in your closet and get you the drink of water. That's right. Wow. Wow. Uh, parenting is so helpful with that. Boy, it just strips all those pieces away. Right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. Starting with sleep. <laughs> and yet also, it's a great opportunity to figure out what it means to mutually submit in the sense of, of are there times when I can say, no, actually, um, I'm going to, be attentive to my own needs and not give in to everything you're demanding. Mm-hmm. So it's that that reciprocal nature as well of parenting, I think. And that's such a challenging balance for me. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, it is. Mm-hmm. That that point at which the limit of submission yes. is the point at which it becomes destructive. Yes. Mm-hmm. And understanding that, defining that, mm-hmm. working that out in a Ordinary, I mean, in your situation, oh my gosh, the idea of uh, community, of, of families making choices to work together and live together. I mean, we tried a little tiny experiment just with one other couple, and 
and uh, there was a guy came by who was part of, you know, that was when intentional communities was sort of a big deal. Okay. And, and he was looking around at what we did and so on and says, so what do you call your group? And I said, well, I think we better have the experience before we try to name it. <laughs> I didn't realize, but that was almost prophetic into him because the group he was part of was called Unity House. And it was anything but unity. A thought comes to me how, you know, it's helpful, it's healthy, it's good for our souls to be in spaces where we're not fighting to have our own way, where we're in mutually submissive spaces. But it can also move into unhealthy in a lot of ways. But one space that I think can often happen is people move into a victim mentality that mm. their, their actions are still the same. They're doing the same thing, but their heart is, mm. is bitter and resentful. Uh, and that then grows something quite right. ugly through the years. Exactly. Mm. That's no, that's such an important point uh, because we're dealing with the heart not just outward actions. Now, what we do involves outward actions, but submission is a matter of the heart and a reforming so that internally I can see the goodness of not always getting my own way and not, not with resentment, but with joy. Now, that's the, just like you were saying, Lacey, about uh, your child getting up and, you know, it's a middle of the night stuff and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a matter of the heart being reshaped, reformed. And now this is the important thing in that we cannot program our own hearts. We can't do that. Only God can do that. So that leads us into dependence and saying, you know, as the old vineyard song had it, change my heart, oh God, make make it it ever new. Yeah, right. I think one of the, uh, connected to that, when my kids were little and I had one who was up um, all night for the first year of her life, that's when I started um, praying the night office mm. in Phyllis Tickle's little pocket um, mm. divine hours um, because I just felt this bitterness building up in me. Mm. And I, I needed something where I didn't really have to think myself because thinking was not happening at that hour. That, <laughs> um, that would kind of carry the words for me. And um, it was um, uh, a good... Um, kind of uh, space of transformation for my heart around bitterness. Wow. Wow. Lacey, what I hear in you is just this little intentionality, the external intentionality that then creates some space for the internal to shift and change that use of that little external discipline of the night office that then creates this space for the internal to change, right? The night office doesn't do it. 
but it creates a space for God to open, to work, to rewire, to reorient. I love that image. It's beautiful. That's good. I mean, I, you know, this idea that these are issues of the heart, the behaviors are involved, but really we're talking about the heart. Um, Dad, could you just, or, or Steve or Lacey, could you guys just say a little more about the idea that we cannot reprogram our own hearts? Because I think that's so important just really in looking at all the disciplines. But also a little uh, frightening. Yeah. We also need to add the corollary. We cannot program anybody else's heart. <laughs> See, we don't, that's not our business. Yeah. And our heart is not our business. Other people's heart. Mm-hmm. Though, though that's the domain of the Holy Spirit, of God's work in mm-hmm. the interior. See, the, the idea that I can be in control, we've got to uh, destroy that illusion. And, mm-hmm. uh, and what, what, what do we learn? Dependence. Mm-hmm. dependence on God to change my heart, make it ever new, mm-hmm. change my heart. May I be like you. What, what, what do you mean it's none of our business, the state of our own hearts? Sh- shouldn't we be tending to we that? Sh- we should be tending. We should be interested. We should be asking. We can cooperate with God, but... The idea of that that we manage the interior mm-hmm. uh, isn't true. Mm-hmm. Only God, that's God's domain mm-hmm. to change the heart. And that to, our our task in this is to put ourselves in positions of openness, receptiveness. Exactly what. Lacey and Steve were saying about creating space yeah. and and the the when we have done that the the night office the discipline of whatever has come to the end of its tether mm-hmm. it's uh, and then God we're we're inviting God to step into that and do the interior work mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the that's why we learn so much about dependence mm-hmm. if we're attentive to the heart we we can you know aristotle's know thyself kind of thing that's important but we can't change ourselves all we do is create space and god turns a person whose natural instinct is to explode with anger into a natural instinct of love and joy and peace mm-hmm. and gentleness. And so that's why the glory belongs to God and not to us. Boy, as you were talking, I had this thought about I, I love and I'm very challenged by Romans 
12, 1 and 2, that Mm -hmm. idea of in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, right? This That's that offering that I hear Lacey talking about at night. She said, I'm going to offer my body, myself, as a living sacrifice. And Richard, as you were talking, I haven't had this thought before of um, with myself, that is what I can do, offer myself as a living sacrifice. I don't change myself. And also with other people, I don't change them, but right. I can offer them as, um, as a living sacrifice, but I don't do the changing in them. I'm not the one that puts them on the altar, so to speak. Right. That right. Sacrifice now, this, this so important, for example, for pastors, Steve, you're a pastor. And mm-hmm. uh, in the pastoral ministry, the, one of the greatest temptations is we want to get a hold of some of our people, open up their head, and tinker around in there a little bit. I mean, you know, yeah, <laughs> not our business. <laughs> we uh, want to do that in families, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. And it's one of the, uh, in terms of the slow work of God, and coming to respect that, to watch people in a congregation, first little congregation I pastored, was full of these wonderful, glorious, dysfunctional people. And you see what they're doing, and you go, you know where that is going to lead. And you have to take your hands off. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and, be there, be there to pick up the pieces. But, you know, that's part but isn't of it. My responsibility to change these people, <laughs> my responsibility to change my kids, my responsibility to change my wife, my responsibility to change myself. Yeah. That's, that's, that what, no, I, oh, wow, you're right. That's really, really, really true. It's, and it's one of the great temptations, for example, in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, people feeling not just the pull, but a responsibility that, you know, people are looking to me and, and right. have to hold account for that. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is very helpful, and I appreciate having all three of you here. Thank you. Oh, that was, that was fun. Great folks. Hey, both Lacey and Steve will be with us at the Pastoral Leadership Conference this summer in Oregon. Steve will be doing a workshop on submission, and Lacey will help us explore the wonders of the many mystics, children. Of course, she's written the Sunday School curriculum titled Good Dirt. And I was just with Lacey this week in Seattle at the Renovari Institute. That was such a good time. Amazing what happens when 45 people gather together for a week. Listening, learning, playing, amazing. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.